0: here with
1: Keith Towson?
0: Welcome to the next episode of Greybeard's on Storage podcast, the show where we get Graybird storage bloggers to talk with system vendors and other tech experts to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center or our world today. This Greybeard's on Storage episode was recorded on March 20th, 2020. We have with us here today Mike Harsh, a longtime folding at home user, computer hardware enthusiast, and personal friend. So Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got involved with Folding at Home? Okay,
2: thanks for having me, Ray. Um, so um, I should say from the beginning, I don't have any affiliation with the Folding at Home project uh, other than being a, a user for a long time. Uh, but it's been interesting. I um, I think, you know, going back to all the way back to not the late nineties is when distributed computing projects kind of came on the scene. And that's when I was just getting into college. And
0: the first thing I ever saw was like study at home kinds of things where they were using, you know, desk, uh, I don't know, desktop uh, systems or something like that to analyze radio spectrum and stuff.
2: So even before that, so yeah, that, um, that's kind of chapter two of the distributed computing story. But even before that uh, was uh, distributed.net. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. But okay. So so picture me in my dorm room freshman year in college um, and uh, having this new experience of being online all the time because I'm plugged into Ethernet. And um, this, this thing comes out called distributed.net, which is going to, it's sort of this hacker project where they're they're going to compete in this encryption uh, contest where um, there's a prize for cracking um, you know the the encryption standard of the day. Was this and,
0: being put on by you know gamblers or or uh, you know no. dark nut kinds of guys or what?
2: <laughs> I, I, from what I can tell, it was kind of a publicity stunt by RSA uh, to to kind of at first it was to discredit the the legacy system and, and show how weak it was. And then it was, you know, supposedly to show how strong their replacement was. Um, so anyway, I started contributing my compute time uh, to this project then, and they would hand out parts of the brute force uh, key space to to crack this code. And uh, yeah, I would just run in the background and um, the the distributed.net system was, set up and they were going to give, there was a prize for whoever cracked the code and, and the, the individual who got the correct, you know, guess was going to get a share of it. So it was kind of, kind of fun. It, I think kind of foreshadowed, uh, the whole cryptocurrency mining thing later on where you're doing brute force stuffed for a potential, you know, payoff. But, um, so that was 97. And then, um, a couple of years later, uh, SETI at home came out and and um, used the same kind of idea where they're going to um, hand out little chunks of work to people on the internet that were interested in helping out. Um, but this time it was essentially doing um, analysis of radio astronomy uh, data to try to find alien, uh, you know, Signals.
0: It was like a desktop saver for me for like you know a couple of years actually. <laughs> you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was a
1: little cool, fun thing. It was nice. I love the gamification of it. That was like yeah, one of yeah. the things that you know I, the the idle cycles of my PC going to trying to find aliens was like a really cool idea.
0: Right, right. I never did find an alien signal.
1: But...
2: Not that we know of.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, um, yeah, you're right, Keith. The gamification was. Um, was a key aspect and that that got picked up by folding at home and they they really built themselves on the SETI at home template um, But uh, yes um, folding at home actually um, Just announced uh, on the seventh that they were uh, closing down at the end of this month um, Which dovetails nicely though into uh, you know the explosion that's happening right now folding at home, so SETI at home um, just this month announced they're shutting down um, so you know uh, no aliens yet but um, in the meantime we can uh, we can point our our computers at other interesting problems
0: so what is this folding at home thing
2: so this is a project that started at Stanford in the um, the pandy lab where they would use the the distributed model where Volunteers were willing to to essentially contribute their compute power to a problem that couldn't really be tackled otherwise uh, economically. So um, their problem that they're interested in solving is uh, molecular dynamics of um, uh, proteins um, in the medical you know sphere. So they can understand the Uh, processes of the folding dynamics of these molecules um, with the name towards, um, you know, finding... um,
0: Therapeutic things or something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, basically sites that uh, drugs can attach to.
0: So not being a, a cellular expert or anything like that, but, you know, proteins have this weird folding topology, let's say, that creates a... A 3D space that uh, other proteins or other cellular mechanisms can latch into, and it's this unique 3D space that makes each protein sort of unique in this world of cellular dynamics.
2: Yeah, so I'm way out of my depth on the science of this stuff, but uh, the way I understand it is that um, you know the the protein molecules um, take on different shapes and there are certain configurations or states of the of the folded shape where they may be vulnerable to um, uh, a binding molecule that could be introduced in a as a drug for instance a small molecule and so what that could do is disrupt the function of the protein so in the case of uh, the coronavirus work that's happening right now, what they're targeting is the um, spike part of the protein uh, of the virus itself, and trying to disrupt that um, the behavior of that uh, protein so that it can't infect um, the cells of the lungs. So, if they can disrupt the spike protein on the virus molecule, it won't be able to bind to the ACE two receptor of the of the host cells and hopefully it can disrupt, you know, the life cycle.
0: So I've got a, I got a, I got a picture of a COVID and then I can put it in the, in the blog post, uh, molecule from the WHO or CDC or something like that. And it's got, you know, this big round ball with these spikes out of the, out of this ball, but there's this like red sort of topographical thing at the end of these spikes. Is that what you're trying to Determine or match or understand.
2: So, what they're looking for are states in the in the sequence of folding operations and the sequence of motions of the molecule, where the um, where there are potentially pockets where uh, a drug could bind to.
0: I gotcha. I
2: gotcha. So, it's not enough to look at a static picture of the molecule when it's in its uh, common state or in its folded state
0: because it's more dynamic, right?
2: And and um, they. You know, have um, actually demonstrated this the ability to do this kind of identification of these um, of these potentially um, useful pockets in the uh, Ebola virus, and they have papers published on that. So it's it's definitely a technique that has been demonstrated to work, and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And so
0: let's say they have. Um some chemical description of a protein. And I'm not sure what it would look like, but you know, it's probably some long number of amino acids tied together or something like that. And so this sort of set of amino acids, that sequence of amino acids, I guess, could fold in a number of different ways.
2: So again, (laughs) um, my uh, expertise is way more on the computing side, but um, the way I understand it is, you know, as the as the virus replicates, um, it has to take the, you know, t- the, the protein starts out in a unfolded state, and then it, it um, through some period of time, it makes its way into a, its folded state. And there are different approaches to figuring out how that happens and, um, like I said, identifying parts of the molecule that can be uh, potentially interrupted with drugs um, But that's a that's a pretty weak layman's uh, version of it.
1: Yeah. So, Mike, help us out with uh, kind of the approach, the folding at home approach, because this sounds like the perfect challenge for quantum computing when it gets there. Like, I mean, as you're describing, I'm like, oh, this is one of the first real world quantum computing uh, uh, examples that I've seen because there's really no yes, no answer. It's yeah. Yeah. Maybe probability. And let's, let's, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's a, it's a perfect problem for quantum quantum computing.
2: Well, um, I'm, I am glad you asked that. I'm not the person to answer it, but I'll, I'll point you to, uh, a, um, an answer that was given by the team during their ask me anything uh, marathon they did yesterday um, on Reddit where uh, some of the team members weighed in on the quantum thing. I think the the TLDR on that was um, there could potentially be real interesting applications of quantum computers when we get there. Um, But, who knows when you know the cape the 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 raw performance and capability maturity just isn't there yet yeah
0: i could i could talk at length about quantum computing but that's not the subject of this discussion but yeah you're right exactly quantum computing could be used to do this if it ever gets to a point where it could be effectively used and there are certain algorithms today that are that are usable but not all of them
1: so how is folding taking like so i i can think of I, I'm starting to get a scale of the problem. And I think, Ray, that's what you're trying to get at too, is how big is this problem? And can you talk a little bit about the economics of what the project has been able to do, not just for COVID-19, but other problems it's tackled that, you know, what problems have we solved today that we couldn't have economically uh, in the past? So
2: um, that's a great question. The, the scale of, The compute that's being harnessed by the project um is on the order of petaflops Uh, so prior to um three weeks ago when uh things have kind of exploded the 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 running power of of the system was around 100 petaflops which is you know like a big supercomputer um so it's it, and it, and you know the the organizers of the project obviously don't have to pay for the hardware or the electricity that it takes to run uh, which is significant Oh, so
0: um, I always thought this was some sort of thing where you were actually doing some folding of it and trying different you it, it's actually computationally intensive and it's doing the folding internally what what does this thing actually do
2: so it's running a molecular dynamics simulation okay uh, over a period of time on the order of uh, nanoseconds or um, maybe getting into the range of milliseconds. So it's it's simulating the motions of the atoms of the molecules of the protein in a uh, fixed region of space over a very short period of time. And it's attempting to, um, you know, describe the, the folding behavior.
0: Okay. So... It is running, not unlike the SETI at home radio spectrum analysis, it's running some sort of a, a simulation program that's divvying out, you know, portions of this work to all these folding at home users in the world. And they're running, you know, this portion of the simulation on their system. And it's providing the response back to folding at home this, that says, okay, for this amount of this, for this simulation time, for this protein sequence, this is what? We believe or this is what the res- this is what the result is from that sequence. Is that what it's doing?
2: That's right. So you've got these researchers, um, you know, postdocs and grad students and um, uh, at different labs around uh, the country uh, and uh, maybe around the world that are contributing. Uh, so they're they're basically framing the problem and they're saying, okay, I have this. They describe the the molecule that they're looking at and then they set a bunch of initial conditions which are force vectors that are initially applied to that molecule and then the simulation starts at t equals zero and it runs like i said for some number some number of ticks uh, which is like i said on the scale of nanoseconds
0: So it's simulating nanoseconds of real time but in reality it may take seconds or minutes of compute time right
2: oh it it generally takes uh hours yeah hours okay
0: for per nanosecond
2: for yeah for a work unit so these things are so that so the the researchers create what's called a project and then that project gets um it generates all these work units uh, of which there may be i don't know thousands thousands probably i have so many questions that we probably would need to
1: uh point to the folding people like one of the biggest ones is queue management and resource management. So obviously, you know, you have the VMware folks are super proud. They put together a team of, uh, folding at home folks. And maybe you can help us with this part of it that, uh, you know, the, the gamification side of it, there's a VMware team and that team is growing and they're dedicating compute resources to, uh the covid-19 problem but from a researcher in in folding folks challenge there's like this classic problem that we talk about in data center all the time which is how do I distribute the load based on the uh the application requirements
2: so um that is the aspect of this story that's been particularly interesting to me um and I've been following it as best I could from both their Twitter feed and also from watching the support uh, forum site, and um, so what happened was, the, you know, the the system was chugging along with an average of thirty thousand users per day, and it had been for as long as anyone could remember, basically steady state. Okay, and the the architecture has, uh, I think, two front-end servers which accept requests for these work units, and then they redirect the request to a work work server, which is the machine that transfers the work unit to the client and then accepts the results back from the client when it's done. Um, So it's like a two-tier architecture. And um, this system, I I don't know how long it had been in place for, but it had been just fine, like never had any um, scaling issues. And then on uh, February 27th, uh, they announced on their blog that the Folding at Home project is going to start working on uh, the COVID-19 uh, virus, in particular the you know trying to analyze the protein with an aim towards um, identifying receptor sites that could lead to a drug. And as you could imagine, um, this was a, was a popular idea with people right now. And uh, anyone who had um, heard of Folding at Home in the past and, and uh, um, knew what it was about, probably went and fired it up right away. And then uh, over the next week, it made its way through, uh, slowly at first, but made its way through various um, amplifiers uh, on Twitter and other places to where... um, (laughs) Uh, as of the 14th, they started really experiencing, um, scaling problems that they couldn't really cope with. So the infrastructure, uh, began to throttle significantly and all these new users, uh, a lot of them were starved for work units. Do
0: you know what the number of users were on the, around the 14th at all? Did they give you any numbers?
2: Uh, it's on the order of four hundred thousand new so users. 10x. So ten x. So <laughs> they've been scrambling, and it's uh, it's. I'm sure there there's been some heroic efforts over the last couple of weeks uh, on the part of you know the actual ops people that are running this thing. Um, and I'm happy to report, as of uh, last night, the 19th of March, um, seems like their throughput has gone up significantly and they're not hundred percent, but they're able to cope. It looks like with, with uh, most of the demand right now. So they're, they're really cranking. So it went to
0: like a three tiered structure or, or just added more front ends or more work servers or.
2: No, what they did was they've added more of everything. Um, Now I don't think they're out of the woods yet because (laughs) Uh, watching so they they actually have some stats pages online you can you can watch um i've definitely seen some new servers pop up and that's good to see but um another comment from one of their you know support people said like the next thing that's gonna hit us is running out of storage and you can see on their stats page um i've been watching one server in particular just tick down it's it's uh it's down to, I think, uh, three terabytes left.
0: Uh, you know, I've talked to a number of vendors over the last couple of days and they're all offering free storage for COVID-19 users. So, uh, or, you know, researchers and stuff. Yeah,
2: I, I'm sure there's no shortage of um, offers for help. I think it, it's a matter of, you know, getting the, the right people on it, getting the hardware to the people. And, you know, it's, it's a fairly old architecture.
1: Yeah, there's there's this overhead of overhead. It's it, it, always we run into this thing. I have a uh, uh, my advanced degree is in IT project management, and it always boils down to you can't make a baby in one month by having nine women. And, you know, a lot of these problems are pretty serial from a not from a technology perspective, because folding at home and distributed computing kind of mastered the distributed computing problem was not distributed. Always is scale of business relationships. You know, you can get everybody from WD to Seagate to Micron can call and say, hey, we have storage for you. The logistics of getting that, you know, getting the human to go and physically upgrade the capacities there's probably total space all these challenges you know just are are very very weird physical challenges that we we forget about in the era of cloud
0: first time i heard that phrase about nine women and in, in, in one month mythical man month software development at uh, at ibm by brooks right or something like that it was a interesting book anyways that's an aside yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know there, there there are plenty of organizations willing to help, but you know getting it there, getting it actually installed and up and running, it's going to take effort, time, and money. Uh, not money. Well, yeah, even anything that requires time require money of some type, right?
2: Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, even the the is free as in puppies.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, that's and that's another thing that's been. Uh, interesting to watch is, you know, as you can imagine, there's been an outpouring of, uh, people wanting to help on the, on the forums. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, there's, a everyone showed up kind of at the same time and is like, okay, we're here to help. And, uh, I think everyone who was, was there before is kind of looking at each other, um, like, uh, yeah, it's kind of
1: like it's it's twofold. It's like when everyone shows up to the gym on the first of the year. And then the other example is when uh, you watch these extreme home makeover shows, there's like hundreds of volunteers that have no idea how to do construction, which kind of, Mike, brings me to the community aspect of it. Tell us what the folding at home community was like prior to the influx of all these new users. I mean, for me, I remember the SETI days and some I did some of the early folding stuff. And it's, you know, I, I install an agent on my computer and I kind of just walk away. What what what's the conversation like in the forums and et cetera, even pre COVID 19? Yeah.
2: So I, I I would describe it as very niche. Uh, before and uh, now they're they're having this moment where uh, it's getting to be very much mainstream but um, you know talking about SETI at home I think these things sort of follow a, a a life cycle where someone finds out about it and in the case of folding at home you know their pitch uh, their front page um, you know call to action is really like hey you want to help cure cancer you want to help uh, work on the cure for Alzheimer's? all these all these things um you know fundamentally uh, we need we need to understand how these proteins work uh better so we can make progress on these problems and so that's a very you know compelling um thing for a lot of people obviously so that's where people uh, previously had had i think come to the project a lot of them wanted to do something about um you know medical research and this was one kind of interesting niche for, for computer people, especially. But, um, now, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, with SETI, it was this initial thing of like, oh, we're going to go find aliens. And then I think the life cycle of, of, a, a typical user goes from initial interest and excitement to, um, after a while, it's like, what am I, what am I really doing here? <laughs>
0: Exactly well, you know, sitting at home we never did find aliens like I'm sure that you know folding at home is actually making progress on some proteins, but it needs to make more progress on this, obviously
2: and that's where they've struggled I think a little in the past with with PR and marketing is is the the output of the projects is primarily scientific papers that are um, not really accessible to most people. So, um, you know, that's the biggest question they get. And that was, you know, the the number one upvoted question on their Reddit Ask Me Anything session yesterday was, you know, how can I see this? How can I see the tangible results of my work that I'm contributing here? And I think they're starting (laughs) this month, they're doing a much better job of uh, closing the loop on that. So it's encouraging to see.
0: So, you know, I did the same sort of thing. I've started working on this Kaggle project on uh, there's like they've got 13,000 COVID-19 research papers. They want to be able to effectively create some sort of a knowledge base where they can ask questions. OK, you know, what does this thing look like? What does this protein do? And You know, try to understand uh, trying to understand the research so they can ask questions to it. But it's it's a it's a bear. <laughs> it's 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 a very difficult task. So back to this folding at home. So you just load something that it runs on a Mac and the, and the PC and and Linux and all that stuff. Or
2: yeah, so you download a client uh, for your platform, and it installs kind of two components. One is a, a background process that does all the contacting the server and downloading the work units and crunching on them and then sending them back and the other part is a sort of a front-end client that talks to the back-end process and shows you progress on what it's doing and allows you to configure that and um, the the way it's configured is in terms of what are called uh, folding slots and so you can have either a cpu slot or a GPU slot and then so depending on what your hardware you have and the, and you can there's a little bit of configuration you can do in terms of how many cores you want it to use on CPUs um, or which set of GPUs you want to allow it to use and um, yeah you set it to go and it can run in the background um, it's supposed to run as a low priority thing so if um, you're doing other stuff you know ideally you want notice it running but uh you can also pause it uh you know while you're working and then uh, you know kick it off again when you walk away from the machine that kind of thing
0: and does it uh you know in the study at home it had some sort of a you know a screen display where it would show you what they you know analyzing of the um the radio spectrum was looking at and stuff like that does it have anything like that
2: yeah. Um, I believe it has a 3D visualization of the molecule as it's working on it. Uh, you don't have to, to, you know, look at that thing. And, uh, you know, the those of us who take this real seriously don't want to sacrifice any extra GPU cycles to do pretty pictures while we're...
0: So that's, that's pretty interesting. So, um, I mean, are there multiple proteins that they're working on? Are there multiple... Yeah, I, I imagine, you know, even one protein would have, oh gosh, maybe 10,000 work units to try to understand its lifetime over a second or so, right? <laughs> or 10 seconds in this case, or no, that would be milliseconds. So
2: no, no, we're talking like milliseconds would be a really big job is, is the way I understand it.
0: Yeah. So that would be 10,000 work units for, for, for 10 milliseconds or something like that. No, it's microseconds. It's not, it's uh, the numbers are beyond my ken here, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm having trouble comprehending the mind, you know, wrapping my mind around the numbers. But to the client side, one of the things that I find interesting is that I I haven't looked at folding uh, since pre-GPUs were being used for this type of work. And before consumer side GPUs, you know, got to the uh, point that they were reasonably uh, useful for this, you know, so, you know, you get to the whole Bitcoin and data mining uh, expansion. Uh, Tell us about the, do you have a point of reference or ideal of how much more work is done now relative to GPU and CPU performance from when, you know, we weren't given the option to give GPU cycles?
2: Yeah. So, um, Yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right, Keith. the 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 history of Folding at Home is kind of the history of the last twenty years of um, innovation in in computing. Um, so initially, we just had you know they launched in two thousand. We had single core CPUs, and that's that's what it ran on. Um, and then uh, later on, in I think. 2006 i want to say they introduced uh SMP cores which were um compute cores that could run on a multiprocessor system but they were kind of primitive they used message passing interface to do the um parallelization even just on the on the CPU and then you know later they came out with a, a threaded version of the SMP core which um was better in a lot of ways. It ran on Windows, and um, then you know, as you say, the the advent of GPUs on the scene um, as compute devices really changed the game because, um, particularly for this for this problem that we're describing here, um, it, it's a good fit for you know throughput oriented computing where um, you know you, you're not sensitive to the latency of these uh, individual little operations that you're running, but you want to run a lot of them just like a GPU is good at. So um, in order to quantify the difference, the, what what they tried to do was set up a point system and this gets into the gamification aspect of it. Um, they set up a, a benchmark system that would run a given workload. So a you know, researcher would propose a work unit or or a project, which he would feed a work unit through the benchmark system. And then that CPU on that system would do the work unit in a certain amount of time. And they would assign a point value to that as a baseline. And then if your CPU is faster, you'd get, you know, some multiple of that, um, uh, point score for, for completing one of those work units, um, and then they they tried to scale that to GPUs, but the uh, the point difference is amazing. It's like it's it's at least an order of magnitude, if not uh, two. So uh, the amount of useful work uh, that GPUs can do is incredible. Now um, I think they're going to rethink the the point system a little bit because. So I would say for for the same work, they can. Port the work units to from uh, they can they can essentially make the same simulation run on CPUs or GPUs, and they do do that. Um, like for the for the recent COVID one, they did that um, just so people who only had CPUs could do something. Um, but I think there's other cases where the underlying code that you know is the simulation software that they're running. Um, hasn't been ported to GPU, or maybe it's not a good fit for GPU. So there's still useful work uh, to be done by CPUs. And um, based on kind of the discussion they had yesterday in the uh, Ask Me Anything session, I think they're going to kind of re-tinker the point system to favor CPUs or favor GPUs a little less than they currently are. Uh, so, but in in numbers terms, uh, a modern GPU can generate between half a million and three million points per day, whereas uh, I don't know a CPU would be lucky to get uh, like three hundred thousand, maybe.
0: You know, it brings up it brings up an interesting thing. So, I've been doing some work with uh, you know supercomputing groups and stuff like that. So last year, Summit uh, was announced it had like 27,000 GPUs and like 4,600 server, you know, multi-core servers and stuff like that. But that was, you know, that was top 100. That was the top CPU supercomputer in the world last year. El Capitan is being installed this year, and it's got, uh, they don't even give us a number for the number of GPUs or CPUs, but it's now called, they're, they're saying it's an exaflop, but they're using the GPU computational characteristics to make, the, to, to make that statement. And what we're seeing is that a lot of these scientific workloads used to be all double precision floating point, but nowadays they're coming back down to single precision or even less, and, and for single precision or less, GPUs work wonderfully.
1: <laughs> so that really interesting uh, question from a ge- gamification. Going back to community, because I'm a community guy. Is there like uh um uh, how serious are are some of your peers on this? Are they are they selecting their PC purchasing purchases based on like their folding capability, even if they don't need GPU? So you know if you you know we live in a world where if you do IT for a living three or $400 more for your laptop or computer isn't a a tremendous amount of money. And that's usually the difference in the, and getting something with uh, Intel based GPU versus NVIDIA or AMD GPU. Do you see some of your community members specifically going out for specific configurations?
2: Um, I couldn't really say, but I I know that the video game, um, you know, cohort online is, is, Got to be the biggest segment of people that have been mobilized lately. Um, they're the ones that already have the machines built that are already optimal for this kind of thing, and um, the um, some of the you know online personalities or companies that these people rally around uh, have you know gone to the trouble of creating a folding at home team. And sort of, you know, like you say, making it a game and and having this sort of competition aspect. So, for example, um, you know, any, name any popular YouTube um, tech person. Uh, they're gonna, you know There, there's a, a number of them that have recruited.
0: So, so Keith, you mentioned you mentioned VMware is doing something with this.
1: Yeah, so VMware, unofficially, uh, Amanda Bevins, who's uh, who works in the Octo office, uh, and a couple of just have been cheerleading uh, on Twitter. Personalities just saying, "Hey, you guys have, especially in the VMware community, we have entire we have entire home labs with four ser- servers. With you know, we we might have." You know, I know again I know these these are CPUs, but again, CPUs, we a lot of us have like eighty cores of physical cores of CPUs just sitting in our closets. So she's saying put the you know, she's been a champion to say put these cores to use for uh folding.
2: Yeah, you're um you're uh yeah, definitely on the right track. There's there's a whole niche of hardware enthusiasts that um, get into that kind of thing. Uh, and then the other cohorts you have are the crypto miners are um, showing up. So um, it's not so profitable these days to go mining cryptocurrency, but a lot of them can um, can you know switch over. So one of the big mining firms announced uh, shortly after folding at home, Came out with their announcement that uh, they'd be pointing six thousand of their GPUs at the at the problem, and then um, uh, actually before that, Nat Friedman uh, of GitHub announced that they'd be spinning up sixty thousand core hours per day, uh, up to sixty thousand core hours per day f- uh, from GitHub to to work on this. So it's kind of fun to see you know tech companies join the fray.
0: Well, this has been great. Um, Keith, any last questions for Mike before we uh, close?
2: No, I don't want to take the, the podcast
1: off into a whole nother tangent. This whole orchestration of, of workload management is fascinating. The, the scale of going from 30,000 to uh, 400,000 endpoints. I just I, I'm not smart enough to solve that problem, but uh,
2: it's a fascinating problem.
0: Mike, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? No,
2: just if this kind of thing interests you, check out Folding at Home. Download the client and give it a try. If you have any issues, um, go to foldingforum.org and uh, ask for help. There's a lot of great people uh, doing uh, triage and tech support there.
0: Okay. Well, this has been great. Thank you very much, Mike, for being on our show today.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. And please review us on iTunes and Google Play as this and Spotify as this will help us get the word out. That's it for now. Bye, Keith. Bye, Ray. Bye, Mike. So long. Until next time. Thanks.